Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit FightRadio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Ron Legro, connecting with us, excuse me, from Costa Rica. Um, and one of the best pleasures that I have by doing the radio show is to be able to bring friends on from time to time and highlight some of their work, and today is one of those occasions. If you love gardening, you'll find that these unique works of art, the premier tools, the most functional and robust on the market. Each tool is handcrafted by traditional artisans throughout the historical Pueblos Mexicas, um, Mexica of Mexico. Uh, Ron will help me with that one if you don't mind. One of Ron's favorite pastimes while living in Central America was walking riverbanks and beaches with his machete in search of precious wood. He was like a hog in heaven, particularly after the, the big rains when everything was washed toward the sea. Ron acquired an eye for locating amazing pieces that seemed to whisper or scream, hey, over here, pick me up, make me into a lamp or a coffee table, a headboard, anything, just get me off this beach. The initial concept for Armadillo Garden Tools took root in 2015, midway through a decade of living in a small town on the west coast of Costa Rica, a haven, a haven for surfing and yoga fanatics. Central America is home to hundreds of species of gorgeous exotic woods. It is also a gardener's and landscaper's paradise. Nearly everything you stick into the ground explodes with life. For more information, you can visit Ron's website, which is www.digarmadillo.com. And then for those of you who like watching YouTube, Ron has a YouTube channel um, under the name of Armadillo Garden Tools. And you can check out many videos there. So with that, I'd like to welcome Ron to the show. Good day, Ron. Hello, Robert. Thank you for the invitation. And uh whether your viewers know it or not, you and I go back uh, 15 years or so, 14, 15 years, I believe, that we met in, I think it was in Taos or Santa Fe, New Mexico. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> exactly yeah. right. So thank, yeah, thank yeah, you. Thank you for connecting with you. Thank you. Yeah, it, it, it's been a very long time, and I've really enjoyed following your escapades there in Costa Rica. Yeah, so let's, let, let's start, um, if you wouldn't mind sharing with the listeners a little bit about your journey, you know, kind of your, your background and what took you, got you to Costa Rica. Well, um, my background is uh, kind of twofold. At building, I, I studied architecture 49 years ago or something. Uh, and uh, civil engineering as well, and then came out of that and was just fascinated with architecture and, and design. Uh, 
fixing things, working with things. My dad, you know, we, we would never, he would never take the washer dryer back in to get somebody else to fix it. He would fix it. So we grew up as kids. Uh, I have two other brothers, so we, he would fix everything, whether it was a car or a washer or dryer, having to dig a new septic tank or put a deck on the roof or out on the back porch. So we, I started out at a very young age using all kinds of tools and um, ended up being a general contractor and a builder with, of course, a lot of architectural background. So occasionally I would design and build a home. Um, Again, using all those tools. So the the market went to down the down the tubes back in oh not eight nine, and I found myself going from building mansions to uh, remodeling trailers and trailer parks. And I said, "This is not correct. I don't want to be doing this." And I saw an ad in the paper for a project manager in Costa Rica on a solar development, which was right up my alley, but I got there and realized that the the owner that had placed that ad didn't need uh, a project manager. He needed a carpenter and a secretary, uh, which I was neither at that point, and I decided to stay and met some wonderful people, and honestly, Costa Rica, the little village I was in, Nosara, at the time in 2010, uh, felt a lot like Aspen, Colorado, which was another place I lived for 25 years. Um, but it felt like Aspen 35 years ago. It was just ready to pop. It was ripe for picking, but not a lot of people knew about it. And uh, honestly, back then when the economy had gone down the tank, I, everybody was saying, gosh, I think the American dream is more alive here in Costa Rica than it is anywhere in the U.S., and I believe it still was. So um, I think I got off on a tangent, Robert. I don't know if I answered the entire question, but that's what took me to Costa Rica initially. And I did a lot yeah. of nothing, believe it or not. <laughs> I, um, I had worked, you know, for many, many years, 15, 20, 25 years. I can't even recall. Six days a week, you know, 10, 12 hours a day, just getting projects done, building, um, and I had crew and tools and all the works. So when I got to Costa Rica, I, I did a lot of nothing and found myself somehow surviving. I got a caretaking job and and uh, fell into running a wood shop and illustrating the local map. Uh, so I found myself doing all these things that I aspired to do when I was a young man. The only thing I didn't include, which was wonderful to do all these uh, amazing things that I'd always dreamt about, but what I didn't also include in that wish was I want to get paid for it. So <laughs> that was that was another interesting thing. But I found myself very playful and, and kind of reverting back to when I was a teenager, having dreams again and aspirations. So it was really a wonderful uh Say not not that I was looking for safe, but it was I was certainly secure, and I I was caretaking a house. So I I paid utilities, and it had a little pool. Over. So it was a wonderful environment to be uh, kind of reinventing myself again, I guess. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's one. I I remember the map. I mean, you clearly remember seeing yeah. a, a picture of it when you when you first oh, uh, worked yeah. that one up. Yeah, very yeah. nice. Um, go ahead. Uh, it was a fun project. Yeah, and and yeah, it started and, and, making money, so we advertised it. It became a money maker. So. Yeah, the the businesses were, I'm sure, happy to have. Um, a way for people to find them. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and that community was initially it was uh, designed to be a golf course, and they never built a golf course, so all the fairways became jungle. Uh, and so, if you can imagine driving a golf cart around on an 18-hole golf course with jungle, nothing but jungle, you can't see the next fairway, of course. And that's that's what. Mosara became, really. Wow. So uh, I, you know, you take a right at the big tree and look for three palm trees that look pretty much identical, and that's where you take a left. That's where this restaurant is. Uh, so those were all the fun things I, I illustrated in the map. And of course, I had all yeah. kinds of birds and iguanas and fish talking <laughs> to each other. Uh, That's right. Some of the local local towns. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, now, yeah. you know, I mentioned in the introduction about you taking your machete and, and the wood. Oh, yeah. Tell us, I mean, you know, tell, tell us about that experience because that's something that, you know, I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find anywhere in the U.S. Yeah, even here in Mexico, believe it or not. I think they've just been cutting down every hardwood tree for so many decades uh, that you don't find, not not in central Mexico. Now, you can go way south as it gets more, more and more tropical, and you'll, those species begin to uh, show up again. But Costa Rica, literally, and I had seven guys working for me in a woodshop, one of the most beautiful woodshops I've ever been in. Uh, and helped put together with buying tools and all. But I would walk the beach and very quickly, in fact, prior to being in Costa Rica, I don't think I ever picked up a machete. But I, I got really good with it um, and didn't cut myself or anybody else. <laughs> uh, but you begin to recognize, I began to recognize a, a tree just by looking at how the water uh, maybe raked out the grain after weeks or months in the water, whether it's in the ocean or in the river, it does a certain thing to that tree. And I could walk right up to it and hit it with my machete and look at the color of that. And I could tell, generally, I could pretty well nail down what species of wood that is, whether it was mora mora or cocobolo or uh, almendro. I mean, there literally are hundreds of species of of hardwoods, and then you argue with the guys that, have, you know, the locals, you say, well, what is that? That's quebracho, or no, that's kombucha, uh, or who knows what, and they argue about it, and without without knowing and, and having seen the tree growing, it's, it, it becomes uh, subjective. You don't really know. You'd have to take it to the lab, but, but the hardwoods, oh my goodness. Just for an example, um, you know, some of the hardwoods that, that you hit, that, that you find down there, cherry and ash and hickory are all pretty good hardwoods. Oak 
that are domestic uh, trees that most people are familiar with if you're working with wood. Um, those species down there are two and three times harder than than oak and ash. Wow. Um, and that's that's hard to believe. In fact, a quick example was we had a an old old uh, it was a big belt sander, but it was probably from the 50s, 1950s, and I had picked it up at a antique uh, equipment sale over in San Jose in the capital of Costa Rica and brought it back. Well, halfway through using it, there was a park, internal park that broke. And we, there was no way we would find, you know, the manufacturer to make that part or take it to a foundry and uh, mm -hmm. it was a forest mm -hmm. piece, so we couldn't do it. So I made one out of the hardest wood I could find, which was quebracho. Quebracho in Spanish means broken hatchet uh, because the wood is that hard. It'll break your hatchet. <laughs> wow. Um, so I made that part out of wood, and that, I believe that was five years ago, and I'll bet that part is still working. Wow. Uh, that, within, that is that that is yeah. Uh, um, yeah, that, that, so, that, that is, so you, so you guys, so you were gathering up wood, and now did you have that um, foundry at the time, you know, that the people that you're working with at the time, or did that come later? No. Well, the, uh, when I was in Costa Rica, I I was running a wood shop. So because okay. uh, I had wood a wood shop. shop when I lived in Aspen, Colorado, so making doors, cabinets, tables, uh, and then finding these exotic woods, and, you know, half the time they would just float down the river. So you'd have to go to the local uh it was called Minai. There's a over uh, a company that oversees all exotic hardwood, so or all all, mm. all you have to have a permit. It you know, there is some small bit if you're really local, you you know, the locals will pull it out of the river and they'll cut it up and they'll make a whatever, a deck out of it or a piece of furniture for themselves or maybe a few mm -hmm. trinkets or bowls. And sell them locally, but there's no there's no real mass uh, production that's happening with those mm -hmm. trees. So, um, but but they, it's very uh, strictly regulated and governed all through Central America, Nicaragua, Panama, which I've been to all those places, and uh, I was dealing with wood and trying to export wood, but that's another story. Um, so anyway, I, I did become very educated with the with the hardwoods and what they were and uh, what they were good for. Some are, uh, I, I'm off on a tangent again, Robert. I continued to do this. I forgot what question you were no, no, that's okay. asking. No, that, that was okay. I mean, my, my question was about, you know, the, 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 you know, foundry, but you mentioned you had the wood stuff. So it was basically at the time when you were kind of doing this gathering of wood and putting together you know, it was through the wood shop that the things were produced, correct? Well, wood, um, yeah. and I'm an inventive person. I, you know, 30 years ago, I was designing kitchen gadgets, and I invented and patented a few kitchen products. So product development and product design and thinking out of the box, you know, looking at a piece of wood, I often say the wood will tell us what we want to make out of it. If, you know, I would tell the guys in the shop, let's just, let's, 
take this and saw it in half, open it up, and look at it. Does it want to be a headboard? Does it want to be a table? Or maybe it wants to just be a picture frame. Um, who knows? Or, or a desk or a lamp. We don't know. But if you listen intuitively, I, I think for me, I hear the wood will talk to me. And it does. Mm-hmm. I mean, not literally. Um, and, and I began to learn that. And I don't know if that will lead us into how I became, how I came upon the idea of designing garden tools. But, um, yeah. You know, wood, we'll come up to that now. But now, didn't you have a, um, a shaman experience? You know, I, I love, would love oh, yes. to hear, um, about about that, how that came about, okay. and what was the experience, and what, what was the result? Right. Well, Nosara Costa Rica, again, was uh, kind of a haven for definitely surfers and yoga people, and it very quickly became a, a place for retreats. Nutritionists were there, people that were doing silent retreats, yoga retreats, everything. So it was very healing. Everybody there had something, they had their fingers in healthy food, healthy activities, healing yourself, uh, whether it's sound healing, uh, whatever, and plant medicine. So I had a, I had a number of friends, and very intimate, not to confuse that word intimate, but uh, you know, very close <laughs> friends that, that we trust each other, we're comfortable with each other, guys and girls. And um, mm-hmm. my good friend came to me and goes, Wow, we're going to, you know, we're going to do ayahuasca, just nine of us, uh, from a shaman. And, uh, actually I did it twice, a year apart. There was an, uh, Argentinian shaman that came, that lived in town. I knew him. He actually spoke perfect English as well. And, um, I did this first journey and very, very psychedelic. It, I actually giggled. It was fun. Now, now don't <laughs> misunderstand me. Doing ayahuasca or any other plant medicines is definitely not recreational. This this is not for fun. I mean, I got, I found my place. I wasn't really hurting or searching for anything in particular, but I thought, I feel like I might be a little bit stuck. What direction am I going to go? Because I could, mm-hmm. you know, I have the good fortune of having a number of uh Talents, so I can do woodwork and architecture and drawing and painting. But but I I wanted some direction. So I, you go and you take this with an intent. Anyway, the second time I did uh, it was a year later, and nothing had really changed uh, in my life. I was still running this workshop with seven guys making beautiful furniture. And um, and he says, well, we're going to do it now, and there's going to be about 20 people. Now, this one is with a Colombian shaman who, who didn't speak any English at all. But it, he's third or fourth generation shaman, and he was probably 35 years old. Uh, so, hmm. you know, doing the plant medicines and ayahuasca in this particular case is indigenous. It's a rite of passage when you're 10 or 11 or 13 years old. Uh, all children will take, I don't know how large their helping is, but they do take ayahuasca. And it's like a vision quest of sorts. So anyway, I, I it was a, a, a crowd of about 20 people. Uh, the shaman came in. We, we 
basically what you're doing, you bring your pajamas or a yoga outfit, something very comfortable. You bring a pillow and a blanket, and there's candles, and there's very quiet, generally quiet music, which the shaman will play, and he may have one or two other helpers that are also musicians. But it's really not so much music as it is uh, like drum beats and feathers. Oh, my goodness. And when, when I was on this journey, it, it just opened up my soul. It connected to me. He had this, like an owl, owl wing feather, and that he beat that up, up against a drum. And it was so soothing to me. Oh, my God. It, it was amazing. Uh, but I didn't have any visions that, but what, what did happen on my second journey, as I came out of this, you're sober as a rock by, you know, you take it at seven o'clock at night, you sleep throughout the evening, throughout the night, uh, and you can go actually go back up and get a second helping if you like, which I did to have a deeper journey <laughs> to go further. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't going anywhere. It, it, it was unusual for the, the second time, then the, the shaman blessed me and blew smoke on me and whatever he did. Um, so without any visions, but I came out of it that morning, sober as a rock. I mean, sober as you and I are right this moment. And no dizziness, no hangover feeling, but you're clear. You're a little bit tired, but you're clear as a bell. And what happened was my internal voice, I've been hearing God speak or anything, but it was my internal knowing mm-hmm. and somewhat of an epiphany. So, Ron, you've been, you love architecture, you love design, you love product development, you wanted to make a brand, you love travel, you want to be financial indi- financially independent, you want to help your children, you want to see your folks and travel and, and help people out. It, it said to me, this is what you need to do. You you do this, create this one vehicle, and you can have all those aspirations will come true. And that vehicle was to develop a line of garden foods. I saw this gaping hole, this enormous void in the world of gardening. And I've seen it and recognize, I didn't really recognize it until this journey. I came out of it and I said, oh, my God, you're right. You know, there's this. Gardening is a billion-dollar business. That's not what my motivation was. But my motivation was that there's a hole, there's a gap. You know, if you if you go to the hardware store, any hardware store, and you look, okay, I'm a gardener. What are my choices? You shovel, a rake, a hook, a, a hoe, a pick. And and it's it's in a very unusual way for me. What I see is this ridiculous void. So I, so like, you know, there's no void if you're if you're a fisherman or if you're a chef. Mm-hmm. You're a chef and you want to you want to buy a beautiful knife. You go to any store oh, you allow. Lots of choices. <laughs> yeah, I've got hundreds of knives that I can select from. I've got hundreds of fishing poles and rods and reels. You want bamboo? Do you want fiberglass? All these options. Even woodworking. I'm a woodworker too. If I want to buy chisels. I can buy the German chisels, the Japanese chisels, or the American-made, or, or the Chinese. But, I, you know, to work wood, and, and that was what I recognized. So 
I, right after that journey, I became obsessed, and I probably filled up three or four yellow tablets filled with sketches, real quick sketches. And then I, then I you remember the movie, uh, it's, I relate it to Richard Dreyfuss in uh, Encounters of the Third Kind, Close Encounters of the Third oh, yeah. Kind. Mm-hmm. Remember when he was making the mashed potato tower? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and then everybody else was doing the same thing. There was a woman in that movie, and everybody was obsessed with making this vision that they were having. Well, that was me. I was obsessed mm-hmm. with, with designing garden tools, and, and I couldn't find the materials in Costa Rica other than trying to excavate some clay out of the riverbank, or they just didn't have the stores. You know, we were way out on the west coast of the jungle, so I couldn't get... Uh, the waxes and the sculpting clays right. or uh, resins that are available here in the U.S. and somewhat here in Mexico, too. But um, So I got creative and, you know, whether I was carving a potato or a squash or a watermelon <laughs> or making it out of mud, um, I slowly began. And, boy, I look back now. That, that's been six or seven years, I think eight years almost, wow. and my God, they were crude. I had a girlfriend at the time, actually, and she says, nobody's going to buy that. That looks like garbage. <laughs> I said, well, you, you have to have some vision. <laughs> but anyway, that, that's where um, that began, and I truly have become obsessed with it. It's because I do. I see it, I see it as being a wonderful vehicle and, um, and bringing these to market allows me to do many things, helping people out, uh, getting back out, getting your fingers in the, in the earth, in the soil. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, yeah. That's a, that's a one, yeah. I mean, you know, just the idea of the connection to the earth, the, the, the fact that the tool, that's what the tools are made for, is to facilitate that you know, human to earth connection. It, they become like um, yes. a vehicle, you know, a vehicle for that, for the energy flow, you know. Yeah, and, it, um, yeah I, I, I don't know if, you know, if I was channeling other ancient civilizations. I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. I mean, I do believe in in past lives and future lives and and soulful connections. But as I touch wood, I mean, wood is arguably, is it still living or was it living? You know, mm-hmm. cut off mm-hmm. the animals. Um, but the whole thing was a living organism at some point. So touching that wood, and it literally does bring life back to you. And it's a conduit. It, it truly is. I, I feel when I pick up these handles and, and everything that comes out of my body, my soul, my mind, my heart, what have you, as I develop this tool, I'm holding it, again, imagining, am I somehow an invalid? Have I, have I got horrific uh, rheumatoid arthritis? Am I a young girl? Am I an old, old man? Am I restricted to a wheelchair? Uh, can I only, uh, maybe I have a shoulder injury. So all these things come into play when, when I design a tool. Um, but again, having this 
ancient cultures definitely influenced uh, the shapes and the and the look of these in, in an unusual way. I don't do it on purpose. I just mm-hmm. it, it's really kind of weird. But when I <laughs> when I hold it, you know, when I carve a wood handle, I hold it left and right hand. I mean, I've been doing it for many many decades, honestly, even with the kitchen gadgets. But if I'm if I have a wood handle in my hand, I'll drive across country. I would drive from, you know, New York to Colorado uh, with this couple of different handles. Or I'd have a lump of wax or a lump of clay in my hand, and I would just switch it back and forth between left hand, right hand, just driving subliminally. I'm, I'm working on it, but I'm not really thinking about it, you know. And, and suddenly this shape appears. And I'll grab another chunk, and then there's another shape appears. But there are commonalities between those two different looks. So, okay, what is what is simplest? What's most comfortable? And um, what's aesthetically pleasing? That's another huge hole in that. What I saw is that void in garden tools is any tool. When and where uh, did it become? Well, I can tell you. The answer to the question I'm about to ask is, when did uh, utilitarianism become more important than aesthetic? You know, it, mm-hmm. it depends on the manufacturer. If I'm going to make a shovel and I'm only metal stamping that shovel, then I've already limited myself in the design because I'm using a, a stamping machine to stamp and cut metal. So I've already limited where I can go, as opposed to mm-hmm. what I did is I... I grab a chunk of wax or clay, and I think about, okay, what do I want to do today in that soil, in that cast? I mean, inevitably, I find myself walking out into the garden every single day, and, okay, I want to transplant three things from a pot to the garden or from the greenhouse to the to the garden, and I go, well, what did I just encounter? Oh, well, this soil happens to be really rocky. Well, I need a different tool than than the typical mm-hmm. tree I find at, at Ace Hardware, right, which is that little shovel and the little three-pronged fork and the little three-pronged rake. Mm-hmm. That's about it. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what? We're about halfway through this show, so I'm going to take just a 90-second break. And then when we come okay. back, I want to kind of go into a little bit more detail um, about the, the variety, but also want to find out, you know, why armadillo? <laughs> armadillo. Okay. So I'm sure there's a story behind that. So um, yes, we'll do that when we come back, okay? Okay, hold on. All right. Everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5 by 7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeart Radio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. 
and you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, and thank you for staying with us again today. My special guest and friend is Ron Legro, and we're connecting with him from Costa Rica. And if you want to find out more about the line of tools, the Armadillo Garden Tools, you can visit the website, www.digarmadillo.com. And, again, Ron also does have a YouTube channel called Armadillo Garden Tools, and you can check that out, and he's got a good number of videos for you to go and explore. Okay, with that, we're back, Ron. Hello again. Thank you. Okay. So, you know, from from the the moment that we first talked about the, the show, and you mentioned Armadillo Garden Tools, I really had this big question mark. Why Armadillo? <laughs> Well, um, being in Costa Rica, I'd occasionally see armadillos. And of course, they're all, they're all over the U.S. as well, mostly southeastern U.S., I believe, but uh, through all Central America. Anyway, the, the armadillo, I, I ask myself, okay, I'm digging in dirt. Um, I need to come up with a brand name, or I'd like to come up with a brand name that's, that's uh, uh, apropos, uh, appropriate for digging in soil. So I thought to myself, what what animals dig in the dirt that are cool? Um, and, of course, there's many, many dozens, badgers, moles, mice, rabbits even. Uh, but the armadillo, uh, because he's such, he's got that hard shell, and he, he's an amazing, he or she, uh, they're, they're all great uh, very prolific excavators and fast. Um, and and the armadillo is an in, independent creature. It's, it's kind of quiet and independent. They're, I don't think they see very well. Uh, and, and actually in the Indian language of, I believe it's pronounced Nahuatl, um, which is the indigenous Indians of Central America, um, they call it turtle rabbit. And the turtle rabbit, because if you sneak up on an armadillo, it'll, it'll jump straight up in the air three or four feet like a, like you spooked it. <laughs> and they're, they're funny to watch. But they're, they're strong. They're, uh, not pretentious at all. They're independent. Uh, somewhat quiet. And, um, and they're great excavators, and, that, and that's and it starts with an A, which is right at the beginning of the alphabet. Um, so that I believe was the main attraction. Well, that's, that's good. You know, I mean, I could, that that makes logical sense, um, and you know, it's distinctive enough that once one hears the name, 
you know, then it's uh, it, it sticks. <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, that's, that's well, I hope, you know, but I from a so. marketing standpoint. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, they, now, you know, as far as, mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, you know, as far as the name and, and branding and that kind of thing, that's a, that's a real good um, aspect to have, you know, um, and and also, you know, the reasoning you know, as far as digging in and, uh, you know, when I bought armadillo thinking of the um the tools my first without knowing the story my my first reaction was you know that shielded um hard shell you know yeah not easily penetrated kind of thing you know where where sturdy you know was the kind of um image that i got yeah i hope that's the image yeah yeah Great. So now, how did you go about? Let's let's talk about the, the the variety that you have and why you chose the you know the styles and, and the particular tools that you did. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let me let me think back to like eight, nine, or seven, eight years ago. Um, again, I I started sketching and I thought, okay, so what are the first mm-hmm. three? The three most common garden tools are that three-pronged fork, and and then mm-hmm. the three-pronged rake, the claw, and the little shovelette, which people call a trowel. And I argue about that mm-hmm. because trowels are what masons use. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, so how can I how can I innovate anything? If I can't innovate it, um, regardless of what I'm designing, even a home, if I'm not doing mm-hmm. something unique. And unusual, not not unusual for the sake of being unusual, but unique because I'm going to add function and aesthetic. Mm-hmm. So what can I do? What's wrong with those three tools typically that you see? Well, what's really wrong, uh, obvious to me, is they're all on a stick. They're all on a straight stick. And a straight stick is a nonsense, and, and nobody seems to be aware of it. Every there are dozens of manufacturers that continue to build and design and manufacture garden tools, and maybe they're they're changing the metal or whether it's forged or hammered or bent or stamped. They all come on a straight stick. They've already missed it. A straight stick is not a functional handle. It's you know I I designed it's basically a pistol grip. it's an ergonomic grip that you shake hands with. So your physiology is number one when I started designing this. What, you know, who's using the tool? How are you using it? Mm-hmm. Am I sitting down? If I'm sitting down uh, or hunched over, when I pick up that tool and grab it in my hand, what's the first thing I need to do? Well, if I'm buying the one that's at the hardware store, I have to lift my shoulder, elbow, wrist, and cock my hand in such a way just to penetrate the soil at 30-degree angle, which is Mm -hmm. completely, you know, people don't see it. And I don't know why they don't see it, but it was so obvious to me. So first thing was I innovated the handle. I created, again, the wood handle, comfort. It's warm to touch. It was living organism. It, It really, you can actually touch that tool, and you're grounding your body through that tool when you penetrate the soil. 
Um, yeah. And the fact that we're using bronze also, which is an ancient, ancient method of of making anything, artifacts, tools, uh, jewelry, whether it's decorative or functional, even, you know, the old uh, weapons from from ancient civilizations also were made in bronze. And, but they're still finding bronze today, 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 years later. They're finding them in archaeological mm-hmm. days. So that, those two materials uh, um, came to me immediately. Very hard, hard, exotic wood, if you will, and then the bronze. Um, so then, as far as the shapes go, uh, let me talk just real, real quickly. I've got the standard tools, which if you go out there in the garden and you watch anybody and watch Child in the Sandbox, and one of my YouTube videos is about this, but a child will form those shapes. You will even at the beach or if you go into a sandbox. If you didn't have any tools and you want to sculpt something or make a castle or, or make a tunnel, then your hand creates a shape. And as your hand makes that shape, Generally, you're not mentally aware of that. I am, though. I'm watching my hand or that child's hand or that other adult's hand. And what are they doing? Well, they're trying to hollow out underneath a log, perhaps. What shape is mm-hmm. it? Well, that's kind of a scoop, but there's a point on that scoop. What point? What kind of point? How do I make that an elegant shape uh, to make it look beautiful but also function with the least amount of physical effort, and those yeah. shapes mm-hmm. become very organic, and you recognize that in nature, whether it's a, how a palm frond will come up on, out of the, the trunk of a, if you're planting a multi-palm, and you take a cross-section at a foot off the ground and take another cross-section of that same leaf frond six feet up in the air, it's a completely different cross-section, the shape. It's triangulated, maybe. It may look like a delta, but it completely went from flat and wide to long and narrow. Why did it do that? Well, because when it's windy and there's a hurricane force wind or tropical storm, that frond becomes flexible, and it can sway in the wind without breaking. So it's not these geometric Mm -hmm. shapes. They're organic shapes. And uh, if, if you go out, whether it's the other reason I have so many different styles is I don't know where you garden. You may live on the 15th floor of a high-rise in in Barcelona or Arkansas or, or in Buenos Aires. Uh, or you may have a greenhouse, in the, but then you're selling plants or putting them in pots, and then you're transplanting them to the farm. Well, what, what tools do you need to pull them out of those pots and then to put them back in the ground? And what... What kind of ground is it? Are you, do you live on an alluvial sand, or are you in the Rocky Mountains, or are you in the muddy uh, river bottom in Texas, or in uh, you know Northern California? Do you have a lot of I don't know? Uh, is it heavy in, in silt, mm-hmm. clay, bog, organic material? Are you mixing mulch? Are you distributing and raking out your compost? Are you digging for worms? I don't know. But all those shapes, these are questions. They're free questions for anybody to ask, and I ask hundreds of free questions. 
uh, that's the other thing that I, I don't get from other manufacturers that they didn't ask that question, did they? You know, um, what happens if I pick it up in my left hand? Well, it's not going to work. I want something that's multifunctional if I can make it get more than one task out of a tool. Uh, you'll see some of them, they, they look so strange that that's why we have to do the YouTube videos because people go look, look at it and go, what is that for? You have no idea. So, yeah. Um, well, like, for example, right now I'm looking at the dragon's tail hoe. <laughs> that yeah, was one of my right. first questions when I'm talking about well, very unique Yeah, and, and every tool has really crazy influence. If you look at the old plow that your great-great-granddad pulled behind the burrow or behind the horse, Mm -hmm. so it was Josie Wales in that movie plowing the field behind his mule um, that plow has a shape to it and it's usually just one half of that dragon's tail I just mirrored it which then becomes looks very much like the cow catcher on the front of a train what is, what is that shape well that shape is meant to go down the tracks and push wildlife off the tracks hopefully without killing it um to pop it out of the way, mm -hmm. or for plowing through snow. So, it, you know, it's got that double edge, and it creates a furrow. If it were eight feet of snow or three feet of snow, as that train penetrates, goes down that track, that same shape is what our dragon tail's hoe is. It's that same shape. And, and the angle, wow. if I'm just pulling on the handle horizontally, you'll see that our handle has a little trigger on it. So even if mm -hmm. I lost my thumb or I've got horrible arthritis, I can tug just in a horizontal direction, and that plow will naturally dive, just like a submarine. If I were pulling in mud or in, you know, through wheat or something, that it will, the shape itself will force it to drop in, to dig, to excavate. And that's a natural shape. Yeah. So, yeah, that, I mean that—that's a beautiful. I mean, it's a—it's a beautiful. Now, I will say before we go on, all of these pieces are really works of art, you know. And I—I kind of when when I was first going through and looking at them, I'm thinking, you know, this is so pretty, you know. What I really—it's kind of like the fine, you know, the fine yeah. software. You know, am I gonna leave it in the cabinet or am I gonna actually use it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, thank you. That—that's actually. Generally, about 80% of the time, everybody that looks at them go, oh, my goodness, they're too pretty to use. I said, well, use them. They're, they're bronze. Just clean them up and hang them on the wall when you're done. You know, these are these exactly. tools, and that's the other fascinating thing about designing anything, whether it's a kitchen item or a fishing pole. If it's that, you know, if it's taken care of, and, and that's, again, why I use these. I've met indigenous uh, traditional craftsmen. Because I insist on on doing it somewhat in the old world method, not not to become tedious, uh, mm -hmm. which is interesting. You know, these people don't understand the word tedious. That that's an American word. It's not a, a Central American word at all. Or anybody in the indigenous cultures, they just make it. Whatever it takes it takes yeah. weeks, days. It's not tedious work. It's it's my trade, and they're very proud of it. Uh, and it's done in such a way, I hope that comes across, that people feel and sense the amount of 
craftsmanship in the soul that is truly not my soul entirely, but everybody that touches uh, in the fabrication. Um, yeah, you know, and, and, and it's beautiful. I mean, the, the, wood, the wood carving in the handles is beautiful. You know, the 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 metal pieces are are wonderful. You know, and when I was going through that mental valley of you know it was too pretty to use or not, then I thought, but you know what? I mean, if I were in a neighborhood and I had like a window flower box, I would want people to see me <laughs> using these tools. Yeah, well, and, and that's the idea, right? We're, I'm, I'm behind uh, on creating these. I just was at the foundry this morning, and we have two that are coming out uh, hooks. I have an angel wing hook. It's literally inspired by by Saint Michael, San Miguel, Mexico, is where I'm at at the moment, and that's where the foundry is. Um, but uh, the um, the angel wings, quite naturally, all the tools are uniformly connected to the wood handle and they fit like a, a hand in glove into mm-hmm. the angel wood hook. So you can put them on a board, you can put them on the fence, right at your mudroom as you walk into the house. Uh, and then you're, you're looking at it. In fact, I just had a, a good friend of mine just bought two for her daughter and her daughter snapped a picture and sent it to me of her. She's kind of making a kung fu pose with the two tools that she had. <laughs> but she hung them up in her um, in her family room, yeah. right by the bay window. Yeah. And that's where they're going to stay. Yeah. She's not used. And they look they look really <laughs> great there, I have to say. But they yeah, are meant to yeah, work. You know, they're they're yeah. meant to be beautiful, and they're meant to function. And those are two yeah. of my, yeah. as I say, that's number one and number one. They're not number one and two. They're both number one. Function and aesthetic. Aesthetic. It's not beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So now you mentioned the foundry. So tell us about, you know, how you came to working with who you are right now. Well, uh, again, if I can make a short story long, um, I will do it usually. But uh, when I initially had these, in in concept form, and I molded a number mm-hmm. of them in, in wax. And because they're lost wax, uh, it's called the lost wax method, which most sculptors will know. That's uh, it's investment cast. So you take these waxes, you build a tree, you dip it in a in, in an investment, which is a, a liquid that hardens. Here, it's basically gesso or a plaster. In the U.S., it's usually ceramic or porcelain liquid, and it'll mm-hmm. harden, and you create a shell. Anyway, um, I spoke to boundaries in, you know, this was five, six years ago, when I was trying to find who is going to produce this. Of course, I wanted to try to produce it in the U.S. Not possible. Not that uh, these tools would sell for $500 a tool if, if I made them in the U.S. It's just too expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. With, you know, with workman's comp and all the wages and all but um, I went to foundries in California, Colorado, Texas, New Mexico, New York, um, probably a couple more states I can't think of right now. And then, of course, in, in Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Panama, and here in Mexico. And even here in Mexico, I've, I've spoken with probably visited and spoke with 15 different foundries. 
Because all the founders, depending on where they're at, the equipment they have, the experience they have, how many people they have in the shop, they're all going to do something a little bit different. And they come up with a different price, and you end up with a different uh, end product. I've had dozens of samples made. I, I, I produce the wax, send it to the foundry, look at what comes back to me, and I go, no, that's you lost all the detail. Or you sand it, you know, mm-hmm. you ground it down, it got too thin here, so it's going to break there, and you didn't pay any attention to mm-hmm. this aspect of it. So I ended up here in, in San Miguel de Ende, Mexico, and uh, unfortunately the, the maestro, the gentleman that had, uh, had all the knowledge and just wonderful guy. I insist on having a relationship with whoever is making any part of our tools or any aspect of what we do. I want a relationship that, you know, I can have a coffee with and share, and I'm not intimidated mm-hmm. by them, and they're not intimidated by me. So it, it really becomes family. I mean, all these people have become family. So Luciano Bustamante was, uh, unfortunately fell and broke his hip about eight months ago, and he just passed away three months ago. Um, at a generally somewhat young age, 78 years old. And he was a, became a very good friend, wonderful guy, very, very knowledgeable, and did some amazing things with uh, modifying the tool shapes that we had and, you know, making them a little bit thicker here. And then we added our logo and my initials and do a little detail to make it a little bit more decorative and maybe easier to cast um, for his side of the thing because he's the, he was the expert there. Now his sons have taken over, and, and they're just as just as intelligent and, and savvy. So um, we're still here at the same family foundry, but it's tiny. You know, it's it's basically a glorified garage, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And but we have such a close relationship where we trust each other, uh, and they offer their expertise if I'm going down a road and they say, no, we don't think that makes any sense. You know, come back here, let's do it this way. Or we'll do it in two pieces in order to get your end result. So that's what I love. Regardless of what we do, whether we're making a bag to hold them or a rack to, to display them on the wall or or how we assemble them, um, I, I listen to everybody. I, I ask and listen mm-hmm. to other experts. I'm not the expert in this case all the time. So I love working these yeah. with these guys, for the guys and gals, women and men, young and old. Um, they all have their input. And, uh, well, that's that good. You know, and that, and is, that's, yeah. That's, the, that's where quality resides, you know, with, with when you, um, you know, are working that intimately with the people who are doing the creating. Um, you know, that's, uh, there's just so much, I think it's really energy that goes into it, the creation versus, you know, some mass produced, you know, not a hand touched at all in the process, you know. You're absolutely right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there are movies and poets and songwriters and painters, movie makers that have all touched on that subject matter. What makes something, what is beauty? What makes something more beautiful than another thing? 
And you go across any indigenous culture in the world, whether you're in Africa or Egypt or Scandinavia or or Kansas, and if somebody's there making something by hand, you know, whether they're making a basket to carry the game, they just chop and they have to take it, walk it back to their village, they make it out of palm fronds. Well, what did they do? They just wove a rope mm-hmm. and then put it with a, you know, with a hide of some creature, whatever, and it happened to be beautiful. Well, why is that so beautiful? I don't know. It, it's subliminal <laughs> and primal. But, uh, yeah. We're down towards yeah. the end of the show. So I want to okay. take um, the last, you know, minutes that we have remaining that you're going to be doing Going on an adventure, you're going to be, you know, yeah. traveling and and talking about and and selling the tools. So, um, yeah. tell us, you know, what about the plans and, and maybe how listeners may be able to help you um, map out that journey. Yeah, that would be great. Well, yes, coming up in June. I'm not certain when in June. Probably the first or second week of June. I'm going to be driving up through hitting Texas and, of course, stopping at a number of uh, small farmer's markets that I've had success with in the past um, in Hill Country, Texas. And then I had friends in in and around near Dallas, Fort Worth, and Austin, and Houston. So I'm going to be bouncing around through Texas. Then I'm heading east. Uh, my folks are getting up there in age, and I want to see them in New York before it's too late. Uh, and then along the way. So I'm going to probably go straight across to, I don't know if it would be Tennessee or, or Arkansas, um, mm-hmm. and then towards Savannah, Georgia, and then I'm going to turn north and hit as many as, you know, I love, I want to introduce our tools to passionate gardeners. Where are those gardeners? They're, they're scattered everywhere in, in small communities and huge cities too. They're in urban environments as well as rural environments. Um, so I'm looking for Farmers markets, uh, garden centers, um, any gardening or, or natural event in a botanic garden to attend. Uh, the unfortunate thing for me is um, I've tried to go into a number of farmers markets and they don't allow me in because I'm not a local. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't make them in wherever I am in, in Wilmington. Uh, Alabama or whatever, you know, I'm not from there and I don't make them there, so they don't let me in their farmers market, right. which is unfortunate. Yeah. So I would just ask your listeners if you have any, um, if you have a, a craft fair or a farmers market that you believe I could enter and get into, and I'll pay the fee, of course. But it, I'm I'm going to be going up there spontaneously, and uh, mm-hmm. I have a number of people that are are well connected in the gardening world and in various states, in Pennsylvania and, and in North Carolina, and I think in Georgia also. Uh, but I'd be happy to come in, demonstrate for free, uh, and just show the tools at a, at a community garden, mm-hmm. um, at a, a private little barbecue, what have you. I'll bring the tools in, and I'll show, show the wares. You can see a little bit on our YouTube video of what to expect. I've got another five or six tools right now just coming out of the foundry or actually coming out of the mold maker to go to the foundry 
that aren't even on the internet yet, and they're gonna they're gonna be going on longer handle tools so that you can stand up and and garden as well. And you know, not everybody's a farmer. You know, they're used to pay for landscaping, and if you just have a mm-hmm. decorative landscape yard, or, or even uh, you know, we have tools for containers as well that. If you're up on a high rise, like I said earlier, you don't have a a garden. You just have potted plants, containers. We've got a beautiful little set of tools we call the Pixies that are um, for for just working in tight little pots and planters. Mm -hmm. But I would love for the listeners to send me an email um, at digarmadillo.com or digarmadillo at gmail. Dot com. Uh, or you can log on to our Facebook page. Email, email will be digumbradillo at gmail.com. would be the email yes. address. Okay. Correct. And then uh, we have a Facebook page. You can find Armadillo Garden Tools on Facebook. And uh, I believe you can comment on that on that page. As well, um, we're on Instagram also. Armadillo Garden Tools that get you on onto any of those social media platforms. Uh, Armadillo well, Garden Tools. So. Uh, well, and, and look forward to seeing everybody. So yeah, I'll be going from Texas to Georgia to New York and beyond, probably up to <laughs> August, September. Yeah, uh, we'd love to visit all during planting season. That's that's the way to that's the way to do that. So right, right. Well, Ron, Ron, thank you for your time today. I, I am so glad that uh, we were so able well. to have this time. You're welcome, and um, I'll be sure to send out the word, and and um, hopefully they, someone listening can help contribute the journey that you're going to have. So I'm and I'll be lovely. connected with you. Yeah, and we're connected on several platforms already. Those that we're not, yes. we will be like by the end of the day. So, thank you for your time, Ron. Thanks so much for your time as well, Robert. Appreciate it. You're, and all your listeners. You're very welcome. Have a great, have a great weekend, and happy Mother's Day. Happy yeah. Mother's Day. Yep, absolutely. Okay. So, everyone, bye-bye. again today, my bye-bye. My special guest has been Ron Legro. And he's right now in Costa or in Mexico. Um, uh, excuse me, Costa Rica. What am I saying? Mexico. He's in Costa Rica. Um, we're ta- we've been talking about his creation, uh, the set of tools called Armadillo Garden Tools. Again, you can find out more by visiting the website, which is www.digarmadillo.com. And again, if you have any connection to any type of uh, garden show, garden clubs, you know, any, anywhere that, you know, might be, um, a good fit for people who would want to learn about the tools, um, do contact Ron at digarmadillo at gmail.com. And so everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth Show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth Show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. 
To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.